Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We are here with the legendary Billy Cobham. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. It's my honor. It's a pleasure <laughs> and not a pressure. Never a pressure. No, um, never. So, so great to welcome you back to London. I, I, I actually wanted to start with Soho, maybe your relationship with Soho, because obviously Ronnie Scott's, you've been playing for 15 years, I think, um, around, around about that time. Yeah. And, um, but also, uh, I think a project that we were involved with, we had you go down to Soho Parish School a couple yeah. of years ago yeah. to do some workshops. That was you? Uh, that was that was us. That was the Ronnie Scott's Charitable Foundation uh, that did that. Yeah. And um, in the in the interview that you did there, you said that you used to come and record in Soho as well. So, yeah. so um, so what does you know this being Soho Radio and being in the middle of Soho? What does what does Soho mean to you? Trident Recording Studios uh, in Wardour Street, and uh, it's a very mysterious place. Back in the day, nineteen. 19- 1970, 1970, yeah, with the uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, uh, also through 74, I did the mixing for my Spectrum album there mm-hmm. with Ken Scott uh, and Crosswinds there. No, we did, yeah, we did that there, and then we did something else. We went to Scorpio then after yeah. that. Uh, but wow, what a... But but an amazing place, yeah, <laughs> man. And uh, let's see what else happened. Oh, it was my favorite place to buy cameras. You oh, know, yeah. Use yeah. I got my first Hasselblad, I think here, uh, somewhere in the darker alleyways back there. Yeah, we were just walking over here, yeah. and you said, don't, "Don't let me stop because yeah. we're coming past oh, the camera shop." Yeah. Is that is that a passion of yours in photography? Yeah, I've been shooting since 1964. I work mostly with Leicas now. Um, know the guys over in the well, around Bond Street. They they sell that stuff, and I have a, a book coming soon wow. of my work. But uh, again, I'm not the only one that. I mean, you get uh, archives and archives and archiving. You keep archiving and archiving, and then after after a while, you realize, my God, it's uh, over 50 years of shooting. You know, and so it's a lot of information. What to show? You know, what subject? Um, should it be black and white or what? Because I, I started right around the army time when I, for me with the Vietnam scene and all. But I was a musician, so I just had a secondary mon- uh, military status as a photographer. On uh, so it got me going. It also got me in a lot of trouble because I'd forget that I was I was. Uh, uh, trying to bring about certain personalities and images, and so I forget Reveille things like this and end up in jail because I didn't. <laughs> it was A W L. Wow! Right? A W O L. Yeah. Yes. Without leave. Right. Heavy. Heavy. Uh, that really went well, especially for me because it, it either was because of that or. I was in jail because I forgot Miss Beverly because I played a gig late that the night before moonlighting with the band, <laughs> <laughs> and I would always come in smiling. Was, but at least it wasn't you know it wasn't uh, the only gun I had was my camera you know, front wow. or a couple pair of drumsticks. Wow, 
Okay. Would you would you ever do an exhibition? Have you done exhibitions? Yes, I have done exhibitions in in, in the states. Yeah, yeah. But uh, oh, I'd love to see I'm, that. I'm looking to do that, and and I'll have a book out too soon. That's fantastic. Yeah. So back uh, back to Soho. Um, around that time, I presume, or shortly after, I think, and, and then Ronnie Scotts. Uh, obviously, you're in the middle of a week residency mm-hmm. uh, at the club here. Uh, but I think the first time you played, I think I heard you say with with Horace Silver. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any of that time? Yeah, it was an out of body experience. Yeah, and Horace was wearing hush puppies because he was counting off the tempos too loud. <laughs> we bought it for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, no, uh, I remember quite a bit about it. I I couldn't forget. I stayed, ironically, at a hotel here in London the first time I arrived, named the White House Hotel, Marble Arch, right? Now, fast forward to this year. I had to go see my doctor, Reinstein, and he puts me in that hotel for the first time in my life since 1968. Oh. And I'm like, wow, deja vu. Yeah. Okay. So that had to be ballpark around February. Lo and behold, I hadn't worked with him in almost 10 years, but I invited Randy Brecker to come, who was in the band with me with, with, with Horace to come and play here at Ronnie's. Now, bizarrely enough, he gets room 208, and I get the iconic room 608, which is the name of the tune that we were playing on stage in Copenhagen in 1968 with Horace Silver. Oh, my God. And... On that tune, I had one, one. I had an unbelievably out, like an unbelievable outer body experience. For the first time in my life, it scared me to death. You know, uh, it was the Copenhagen Jazz Festival, and we'd been working for ten months. Or, no, by then maybe easily around between eight and ten, eight and nine months on, on playing the, as a band with Benny Maupin and John B. Williams and Horace. So the band was really tight. And we got into a thing. We didn't have to read any music anymore. It just went to another level. That was where I was sitting in the audience watching me play with the band. It wow. never happened to me before in my life. But I realized that after, after I mean, it was confirmed to me when I worked with the Mahavishnu Orchestra a, couple, a few years later, that can happen. And it did happen with the MO maybe twice. Olympia once and... Maybe in Puerto Rico, uh, uh, where we were playing in a big festival, uh, opening to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer or something. We were just on fire at that point. And it's just like something that just, you're just gone. And boy, it'll get your attention. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you find yourself in, in kind of compromising situations where you go... Why am I sitting here on the edge of this balcony, you know, watching me down there play wow. when I should be there with me? <laughs> How do I get back? <laughs> you know, things like that. Yeah. That's, that's pretty deep. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. what I'm saying. It can be done, man. It is, you know, you get into it month and, and your mind will take you. And you realize how little of your brain you use and, and where you can go with it. But you got to know, you got to have the keys. I don't know how I did it or how it happened to me. It just happened. 
I'd love to ask about the Mahavishnu days. I know you've probably t- answered it a million times, but I, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was raised on that stuff. I absolutely love the albums. How do you look back on those times with Mahavishnu playing these arenas and stadiums and, like mm. you say, opening for Emerson, Lake and Palmer? And- uh, as being a, a, a feeling of, uh, well, privileged, I learned so much about the complexities of playing music in the most complex yet simple way um that uh music in itself is a is a is a conundrum uh it's a puzzle and it, it depending on who's playing it it's just to be solved by that individual in it, in his or her only way own way because a lot of things that uh i play when i was younger on the same piece I would never do it now mm-hmm. and get what I feel would be much more satisfaction based on what I would put forward now, knowing what I know now, understanding that it's it's about the maturity and the personality and the mind and that, it, you know, all of this stuff. Yes, deep. Yeah. Uh-huh. But where else are you going to go? Mm. You know, if you stay on the surface, then it's shallow and you're still thinking about a million notes per bar. Um, and uh, how impressive that is from a technical uh, perspective. And then it's all about the music. Right. Yeah. And then it moved into Spectrum, of course, and that was, I mean, between uh, between the, the second album, Mahavishnu album, and, and Spectrum was, was quite a short period, mm-hmm. right? How did, how did that come about? I got fired. <laughs> Well, did you did you did you find out that there was another drummer? Or? Um, actually, I knew. Ex- I, I found out before I got fired. Yeah, that there was another drummer because he was sitting behind me. Sorry to bring it the, up. The, <laughs> sorry, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> At the time, I was curious. Yeah, because I I never felt intimidated by anybody uh, taking my position or taking my place. That that's not a problem. Uh, I think I've been blessed in a way because. With that, I have always felt that when I, when I play, I I am the only person that can do what I do, and that everybody else sure. will do. It, it's not to say that they're less than me because I'm not competing with anybody else except myself. So there's no one to be intimidated by except me. So I would just play, and mm. then all of a sudden. Late in the time that I was with the band, with the Mahavishnu Orchestra, along comes this young person who's now sitting in a lotus position behind my drum set. And I'm going, okay, I get I get it in a way. It's uh, He's a follower of uh, John McLaughlin's people, and I respect that situation. It's not a problem for me. I mean, it's not my way to go, but, you know, people have to live their thing. And I'm going, wow, that's, that's amazing that, you know, they would, if you want to sit around and, and understand me, I didn't really, I didn't understand that this guy was going to take my place. Mm. Um, and, and that guy, and when, when it finally became apparent, um, I had received a, 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 a very, well, you could call it a pink slip, you, never, you don't work for us anymore. And uh, when uh, the next time I, uh, when I understood that, it was after my record had come out, uh, Spectrum. It was at uh, it was at a late time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, being 75 now, I'm allowed to make mistakes, 
um, and it turned out to be Michael Walden. Right, right. But what a phenomenal, you know, timeless piece of work Spectrum was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if those circumstances hadn't happened, maybe this and that, hadn't come that, about. Well, it was, yeah, I, I understood that I was going to be replaced, that I wasn't being asked back. And, and my only shock was because I thought that I had a, a, an absolute meeting with the guy that ran the band who said, I'd love to have you stay with me and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then all of a sudden I was out and nobody told Bill. Right. So, and the best, and the way, the indication was, okay, now we're going with with uh, all of our our friends and blah, blah. I said, okay, I mean, it's it's no problem because I'm from New York. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't born there, but I was brought up with the idea that you need the right combination of elements to make the music happen it's sure. all about the music so obviously i didn't fit so it's no problem you have the last laugh it got to number one right it was a smash well I, it wasn't so much about that it w even better for me was not being number one but that the music got out to anyone at all because remember i'm a drummer drummers don't write music number one number two according to all of the other yeah. people who do and we we tend to be more supportive of of our colleagues than being in front of the band. So to uniquely go that route and reverse the, the process in a way was also very very interesting, and and took everyone in a different direction, you know, at least for a while. So I'm good. Yeah. I mean, listening to you speak. Um uh, you know about this stuff and and the depth of these musical experience and, and things. I was looking. It appears to me, and I could be wrong, that there hasn't really been a year we haven't released a record. Uh, since there's, there's incredibly the, prolific, the output yeah. of records is is very high. And then when a moment ago when you said uh, how to concise how to concise fifty years of photos into into a publication, yeah. I wonder if if the output. Uh, maybe you could uh, embellish the, if the output of records is—is is it because they're very high, highly conceptual and, and you're communicating something specific, um, or is it just purely because it—that's who you are and that and you, and you're a musician and you, you can't stop? Because nobody releases as many records as you. I mean, I—I I was looking. I, I just thought to myself, how many records has he released? And I mean, it, it's over thirty. Yeah, it's about more like seventy. Yeah, so that's yeah. A, that's more than one a year <laughs> for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, do you want to talk about that? I mean, just the, the level of output is. I mean, is is. Do you talk talk me through that a little bit? Because it's all about life and how I see it, and every in and the sonic uh, portfolio that that I release as a as a recording or an album. CD, whatever you want to call it these days, represents the visual aspects of my life. So I go, I play, and I, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced and secure in the idea that every time I go and play somewhere, uh, I have an audience. And that audience will hear something different from me. Okay? And... To prove it, I will create something that is an update of where I was before, which means that you're not going to hear the same thing again mm. unless I document it 
and, and for posterity. So I'm always recording uh, because every second of my life is a cell that doesn't represent the one before as a duplicate, you see. Uh, I have a daughter who was a good uh, animator, and to see some of her work was to really beam at the idea that one character would move in increments all the way across paper. And the, the fact that she could see that, I could relate to also when I play, what I do is refine in a way what I did before, but it depends on other aspects of the performance, not just the beats or the amount, the amount of beats, where the accentuation is going, uh, but the combination of tones that I play to play fundamentally the same rudimental pattern. But because my accentuation and the, the, the uh, selectivity of the sound that I play the pattern on, or combinations of sounds, it never sounds the same. But again, it's not just to do that, but to represent a specific frame of, of, of the music that's been written. So I'm, I'm, I'm performing always through an instrument that has been designed by me to play, to sing or present my ideas in a specific way from bar to bar, uh, from a whole piece of music to another piece of music, a recording, whatever. Every time I play with different musicians, I've just changed everything. So I have mm -hmm. the option to document that. And I take the opportunity to write in that way, offer this pers personality to the buyer, whomever that might be, contractor, impresario, whatever, so they know what's coming down is not going to be the same Billy Cobham mm. because I couldn't do the same if I wanted to. I just, I, I proved that again when I came back and recorded uh much of the music of the Mahavishnu Orchestra with with a jazz orchestra of seven yes. of twenty two pieces and yeah. with a full orchestra of one hundred pieces with sixty violinists playing guitar parts by McLaughlin. Incredible. And mm -hmm. the arrangements when I played this time, that would be thirty, forty years later, had nothing to do with what I did when I was younger. Mm. And that's the way I see things. Speaking of music, let's hear a track. Um, Billy, uh, a few months ago, you, you did us a, a list of your 20 favorite jazz albums. So we're going to play a track off one of those. This is the Bill Potts Big Band. And we're going to go with Summertime from the Jazz Soul of Porgy and Bess. Ho-Ho Radio, the first track there. Yeah, Billy, your 75th birthday tour. You're looking great on it, man. Thank you. <laughs> do you have, how do you, how do you keep yourself so, you look great in shape? <laughs> um, well, it's actually pretty simple. 
I, I buy as much peanut butter as I can, and I get as much jam as I can. And <laughs> That's I the secret, huh? together and, and Yeah, and it keeps me going. <laughs> <laughs> so Bluey from Incognito was telling us, he was talking to us about how Sleep is overrated, and don't don't get too bent out of shape about that. And I I, I disagreed. With I chose him. to ignore that. I, so. I, I disagreed with him. I said I think we need sleep. A good seven to eight hours is yeah. is all good yeah. with me. Yeah. We were talking in the break about um, the musicians that you play with, and we're, we're Alex and I are both impressed with how you're constantly switching up the musicianship. Obviously, on this on this uh, tour, you, you're reunited with Randy Brecker, mm-hmm. and great to see uh, our countryman Michael Mondesia. Mm-hmm. On bass, and uh, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about why you you like to play with different players, change up the personnel? It has a lot to do with who fits, and and, and for me, with who the people who fit my music. Uh, I'm working with with uh, two wonderful people from Scotland, uh, in uh, Steve Hamilton from Edinburgh and David Dunsbuer, uh from Glasgow, and. Uh, I never heard a guitar player like David mm. Dunsbury before. Uh, if it wasn't for Steve, I probably would still not hear him. I didn't know that he, oh. he, he existed. And I, uh, for me, I find, you know, just such a joy in in, in uh, working with these guys. And then on the other side, we have Guy Barker's big band, mm. and there's a whole plethora of musicians in that band I didn't even know walked this earth and they are <laughs> off the hook incredibly good and uh, I can't say enough about being honored to work with in an environment like that on my music with these guys so I've, I you know it, it's like big band situation uh, small mid-sized groups uh, what the thread that runs through it all is the Focus by all of the artists who play with me, I can feel generally really give their best. Not and it's coming not from the standpoint of me having to tell them anything verbally. Mm. Uh, it's about just playing together, it, yeah. playing together, and 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 synchronizing our thoughts, making music. You know, but you see that that's that statement that you make is very very important because. It's an umbrella that covers a lot of stuff, man. And if people don't play for each other, number one, and then in the process interpret what each other is doing and then translate and tra- and, and send back out a, a signal that's relative to what they've gotten in, it's not going to work. No matter how well you play uh, with whom or how, if, if you're not listening to your colleague... And getting that message through the signals, through the through the frequencies, then you're standing up there doing it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not just the notes. It's not just playing loud and aggressive or or too soft. It you've got to be for everyone on the bandstand. And that's the thing that I, I seek to to find. Not the best players in the world, but the best players who will work with me and and, and interpret what I say or play through my equipment, my drums, and, and, and make it feel like more if together with me. That's what it's all about. I would like to talk about um, your passion for education and teaching music. Mm. And you were just talking about being on the band span, 
spend time with others and, and being able to feed off each other and listen and react. Mm-hmm. Um, before getting into your teachings and your initiatives, you want to maybe talk about some of the most memorable lessons you you took when you were coming into music and performing with people, you know, because you've played with some, some real legends in the across the genre um what are some lessons that like really stuck with you from from the beginning the fact that just about every professional musician that i've worked with that uh, i i hold in highest esteem don't talk much about what they do they Mm. play it and that's a tall order because it means that i as a as a student have to interpret what i'm hearing and my only teacher would be my failure. So if I fail and I get it right in my failure, the next time is I'm not an idiot because I did it again. Was was it like that Miles has been when you played with Miles? So it's like it's a in a rehearsal Yeah, that shit that you played over there. That's a very good impression by the way. Do it again (laughs) tomorrow. I like that. And I go, okay. And then next thing you know, I go there, studio. And he turned to me late in the, in the, in the, at the, because everything else was working. And he go, well, we got more time. Billy, remember that shit that you played on it? And I go, mm, yeah. <laughs> Play it now. And I go, oh, God. And so I'd go and do something that was totally out, you know, like that I didn't. And my hands were just moving. You go, that's not the shit that I told you to play. <laughs> and, but I like it. Do that. And then we just go, you know. And that's, that was my, uh, how can I say, uh, it was the key to open the door to him. Yes. He says, come on in. Whatever you do is okay. You know, because normally I didn't say anything. I'm sitting there with, on my right door, by the door, before you have to leave, the first thing person you run into is Chick Corea. The next person after him is Keith Jarrett. The next person after that is Joe Zavignon. The next person after that is Larry Young on organ. So there's four beyond understanding keyboard players just in the corner, waiting to see who would play what and contribute what. And who barges through the door as we're playing but Herbie Hancock. So it's like five piano players, right? <laughs> and Herbie's late, but he didn't come to play on the session anyway. He came to give everybody a record. I mean, right. this is this is on the Jack right. Johnson album. Wow, yeah. okay. And what, I'm just looking at I'm going, get out of here. You know? Yeah. I, uh, no, it wasn't on Jack Johnson. It was a circle, circling around. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Live evil things like this, bitch brew, all the stuff, all all these all these things, these sessions are happening. And I'm just sitting there. Sometimes Jack Dejanet was the other drummer. Sometimes it was a Lenny White, but I don't remember Lenny being there with me. But but those are the we were the drummers fundamentally that he used aside from Tony. Mm. And so I heard stuff, and all I wanted to do was just be quiet. And listen and absorb and and as a as part of the audience, you know, I felt like, uh, uh, how can I say it, uh, pre prehistory 
environment, uh, part of that history, historical environment that that preceded uh, snarky puppies thing where everybody's wearing headphones and all. Except that I was playing in it. You know, I was just, Mm. I was doing something that I I still don't, God, if I can understand what I did. You know, it was just, (laughs) it was more about, God, am I really here? Uh, should I hit myself more, or, you know, just to gain the pain to see if I have actually really, really doing this? Mm. You know? And uh, in the process, I was. And and from there, I, I learned just to be myself. No one ever had to tell me what to do. It all fit. And it all was based on the simplistic aspects of playing. Being selective, listening, and and trying to blend in with my fellow musicians, not playing better than, not being the individual, but mm. being part of the whole. That's uh, a different, a, a difficult thing to do if you are seeking uh, uh, acknowledgement for who you are and what you do. Especially at a young age, I think you know you're eager and you're, you're getting yeah. into sure. trying, trying to sure. show yourself. Sure. Yeah. It is it's natural. Yeah. So but on the educational uh thing, obviously we've touched on the, the thing that you kindly did for us at the Soho Parish School, um the Art of the Rhythm section retreat. Mm-hmm. I'd be keen to hear about that. You, there was a documentary made about you, Sonic Mirror. So uh what's the what's the vision when it comes to uh education? Teaching the students of the of the art form to be uh, contributors on a, on a communal level, to be cooperative. Yes. That's not easy because when you, you speak students, that means everybody's young in mind, uh, inexperienced, which is also a useful tr- trait. So you tend to want to be the better than anybody else could ever be uh, at what you think you do. In that part, I think that all students are, are true. They're sincere. That's as good as they are. And because they can't be any better, they are best at what they do. Problem is, is that you need to have more history behind you, more failures to teach you that you aren't very good at what you do until you learn from your mistakes. There you go. And are there musicians coming up that you've got your eye on, especially maybe drummers? that you think you better watch out for him he's no, going to be something no because i'm not looking i, I i'm right. not looking out for for uh, uh, consciously looking out for any drummers and 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 for me what i what i require in a, in a in a good drummer is someone who plays and lays it down like an old drummer would and you can't do that until you get old enough to understand and do it you see what i'm saying yeah so Nothing against uh, if I, if I hear somebody that's playing and it's, they they tend to have a little bit here and a little bit there, but they tend to be coming they, they, they tend to want to match up, you know, and it can be on any instrument, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's just like uh, not only recently someone challenged me because they couldn't understand how I would write uh, a piece like Spanish Moss from my crosswinds album uh, and, and they 
chose to think that I was influenced by so that someone ca- else came in and wrote, wrote instead. Oh, they put words and in they It was all a ghost ghost writing, and they said, "So who was the person who did this?" And I said, "It's me." He said, "But you play the drums." <laughs> it's a, it's a very very yeah. profound statement, yeah. you know. Uh, and I said, "Well." Yeah, dramas write music too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was me. I was there. It yeah, <laughs> was me. Yeah. Let's hear some more music. Should okay. we go for the Count Basie? This is off the legendary Atomic Mr. Basie album. Must have must have been a, a big impact. Ouch. In your Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still here with the legendary Billy Cobham. Billy, I wanted to ask, um, you've, I've, I've heard you say that you always find it difficult to focus on one direction in your music, whether it's Latin or rock and jazz. Mm-hmm. So how, how would you say your music has evolved since those early records like Spectrum to, to where it is today? Um, I think I've come to take elements of all three platforms and turned them to into something under the heading of the music of my mind. Uh, I have, when you listen to what I'm playing, or what we're performing here at Ronnie's this week, uh, there's a Latin flavor, um, there's a rock feeling. Uh, for, for, uh, into your, there's a Latin flavor for in, how can I say it, in um, symbiosis. There's oh. a... There's a rock flavor in parts of a Tierra del Fuego. Uh, there's a kind of classical contrapuntal flavor throughout all of the music because I, I demand through the music that individuals play as ind- individuals independently, you know, where inside the chords there are lines, just like Bach. Yes, but yet if you play those lines right, then you're right on the money with everybody else. And as as soon as you can do that, which is just a kind of training, you know, you just get to feel, yeah, I've got to play this line. This is me. And if we're playing it rhythmically, and harmonically, theoretically correct, everybody's together. So we still have to take care of each other. We have to listen to each other, and that also means that. When I'm playing, I'm choosing the the sounds that I feel should be enough to to help to keep the whole presentation together. So that's the classical end of it, you know. And in in a way, it shows the tremendous amount of discipline that's required by artists 
to to really be well-rounded musicians. And that's one of the things that I feel is important. Uh, it's not just the instrument that you play, but what you do with it. And it's quite an instrument as well. It's it's funny. I, I, I've got to tell you, the, the number of people that are so impressed that we managed to fit your drum kit on stage, <laughs> way more than get, uh, when you say we got the Buddy Rich big band and 23 other guys, mm-hmm. they're more impressed that we got your drum kit on because <laughs> well, it's quite an instrument. Yeah, it is. But again, knowing that I'm coming to Ronnie's with a big band, let's say, yeah. I won't play. I will play the same amount of drums, but the dimensions will be smaller because I know that I have to accommodate, I mean, for the sake of the music, everybody else, you know. And so with guy, Guy's Band or so, I've got 20-inch bass drums, and, and those four inches make a big difference, yeah. you know. And, and a few less toms or smaller toms and things like this, but I'm still looking at not just the dimensions, but what tones are used and how I'm going to blend in with the music. And again... The heavy is that I'm playing my music. So why in God's name would I want to do yeah. you know, something to just show off myself individually? And unfortunately, that is not the norm. Mm. There you go. Um, what about, I mean, we're, we're running low on time. Uh, what what can people expect to hear and see from you for the next couple of years? Uh, you know. Well, Randy and I are right now working on a... On, on just on paper, a, a project that's called the Pianoless Quintet, Sextet. I'm sorry, and it also means there's no guitar. Okay, there's no piano. Oh, this time it's bass, Latin percussion, and drum set. Nice. Three horns. Okay, uh, Randy trumpet, Donald Harrison alto saxophone, and Paul Hansen who plays bassoon and tenor sax. And Paul Hansen's in my uh, Crosswinds project. He plays uh, electronic bassoon. So we've got some things coming down the pipe. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be a lot yeah. of fun, you know. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And these guys are, in, are New York cats, right? No. No? Donald is in New Orleans. They're all based around? Oh, he's in New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, he's, he lives in New Orleans. Paul yeah. lives in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, Randy's uh, on Long Island now. Sure. Um, and you? And yourself, uh, Switzerland Me? for... Well, I'm in Panama 30? now. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay. I went back home. Yeah. So, yeah Full and, circle. Uh, yeah. Marco, Marco Lobo is in Brazil. He's in Salvador, uh, Bahia. And uh, who that? Oh, Christian is well south. He's in Santiago. Right. Chile. So where'd yeah. you get to, together to rehearse? Uh, we just get on the phone and say, well, you, let's just play. Uh, dial it in. Yeah. yeah <laughs> dial it Can in. you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we the whole idea with that project is that you you prepare. Uh, okay, the music's set. We need about three, four days rehearsal. Where are we going to do it? Probably come to Panama. You know, everybody just goes whoop, and we do what we do. And depending on where we're going, because we might do a South American tour, then it's Panama for sure. But if we're going to Japan or so, we might go to San Francisco, and you know, we'll head hmm. head there, head off from there. And you still have much family in Panama? Absolutely, we're yeah. alone in force. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Oh, great to hear it. Well, uh, maybe on that note, we can uh, play another track. I would love to finish with Red Baron, one of my favorites of yours. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, okay. Is that acceptable? No problem. Billy, thank you so much for your time. Um, Oh, actually, well, so we should should say as well, so you can catch Billy uh, tonight or tomorrow uh, if there's any return tickets at Ronnie Scott's. 
After that, you go to Poland, I think you were saying? Mm-hmm. Rocklau Festival. Right. And then after that, it's right, which is in Graz. Okay. Another festival. Wow. Catch him there if you uh, if you can, and uh, yeah, Billy, total honour to have you down. Don't ever stop what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, yeah, see you next time. Thank you.